I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Ryan Nunes. Ryan was the leading commodity uh, derivative salesperson at Wall Street Banks for 13 years. He transitioned to multifamily in 2019 and is a general partner in $64 million of assets and a passive investor in 3,195 units across Texas, Florida, Arizona, Georgia, and Ohio. Uh, he's the founder of Life Changing Capital based in Houston. And first, Ryan, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for taking the time out this morning. I really appreciate it. Jason, thanks for having me. I appreciate it as well. Awesome. Can you tell us a bit more about your background? I know, I know you were in Wall Street, but just, just kind of tell us your story. Let the audience get to know you. Yeah, for sure. I grew up in the East Coast, uh, did my undergrad at Georgetown University in finance and international business, and then joined a energy company in a management training program. As part of that management training program, I did my MBA on nights and weekends. So really learned about hustling. Uh, at one point in time, I was working full-time, doing my MBA nights and weekends. I was classified as a full-time student and was also a teacher's assistant. And so, but as I was doing that at uh, NYU, um, I was rubbing shoulders a lot of people that were working on Wall Street, and I really decided that's what I wanted to do. So I took my energy background and transitioned to a commodity derivatives role on Wall Street. Did that for a number of years, 13 years or so in sales. So got to uh, call on a number of CEOs, CFOs treasurers of different Fortune 500 companies and private companies and help them manage their commodity price risk. And to for real estate people, I kind of explain it as I help people lock in the equivalent of your interest rate, and, but for oil and gas. And um, over a number of years, I'd say probably the past five years of doing that, and there was a lot of changes in that market. It was very much a boom and bust. Um, I kind of say that for every one real estate cycle, there's probably four or five commodity price cycles. So, um, you know, a lot of ups and downs, and there was a lot of change happening. And, and so, you know, thought about, you know, this train is going to stop at some point in time. What else do you want to do? And frankly, got a lot of resistance in terms of a pivot. And people were like, hey, you're great at commodities, just stay doing that. And I said, no, I really want to do something else. It's kind of the halftime of my career. And um, it seemed real estate was something that generally is something that's easier to pivot into. Um, but I also think it can be very much more difficult to be good at um, because there can be lower barriers to entry. But fortunately, um, learned about multifamily, had no background whatsoever in multifamily, didn't know what a cap rate was, didn't know what NOI was, and um, transitioned, went on to buy two deals with, with two gentlemen, and then uh, found my partner 
And we we bought three deals together, sold one, have another one under contract. And so it's been a great ride. We've we've uh, all in all GP and five deals and LP and over 3000 units. And so really have seen the good, the bad and the ugly of multifamily in the past four years or so doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting. I mean, a lot of a lot of my guests come I think it's actually rare that someone is like, you know, in in college for multifamily real estate, right? That's not typically what happens. So people come from other career paths and uh, you're you're uh, in, similar there. And so I I think that that transition period, because we have, I think, a lot of listeners that that want to get into real estate and they're not sure how and they're not sure about whether, you know, are they going to LP or are they going to go and be active? What's what's their plan? How did you, you, you mentioned that you got resistance. How did you, what were the first steps you took? And then, you know, kind of we'll, we'll start there. And then, and I want to talk about kind of that resistance that you, that you faced. Yeah, sure. So the first steps that I took were sitting down with people that were in the space. Um, and a lot of that was, hey, who should I talk with and who are kind of the quote unquote influencers in Houston or local Texas markets? And I would just get on the phone with them. I like to ask a lot of questions. Um, so we just pick their brains and try and add value in any way that I could. And a few of those folks I ended up investing with. So I think that was that was beneficial for both of us, mutually beneficial. Uh, but that really helped me understand, okay, what what is this space all about? How have people been successful? What are the pitfalls? Um, I chose to invest passively, but then soon after, I, in more out of necessity, I needed to be a general partner for tax purposes. So there's some um, rules around depreciation and offsets and, and through those offsets was able to get some sizable refunds from the IRS. But that was all because I was an active real estate professional and, and involved in as a general partner. Um, in terms of the resistance, I think it was more around... Um, in in commodities it's 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 it can be a little bit niche and so people are like hey you're really good at that you know those markets super well you've been doing that for 13 years just keep doing that um the resistance was less so on the multifamily side i think people and um, to your point um you know are more open and i i think that's maybe what makes the multifamily space interesting is that people come from perhaps different backgrounds or yeah. the real estate space in general. I know that it was very helpful, uh, my background in commodities and risk management and understanding markets and understanding when I felt things were getting overheated and kind of irrational exuberance and also being able to have that data-driven aspect where you know, we looked at probably three, 400 deals before we bought or, you know, in, in the time that we bought three. Uh, so, you know, really being able to analyze um, and take a very institutional and um, deep analytics approach to the space, I think has been really helpful. And that's been a good carryover from my career in commodities. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you bring up kind of a good point. A lot of times the, the resistance is not from the people within the real estate space about you coming in. It seems to be a fairly, you know, sort of open and welcoming community, I think in a lot of, a lot of ways. And it's, um, it's oftentimes the people outside of that, you know, the, the career path that you might be coming from, even friends and family, they're like, what, why would you, why would you switch? You've got a, you know, you've got a great job, you're, you're making money, that kind of thing that all these, um, you know, and, and they're saying those things really simply just to, I think they're, they're 
have your best interests at heart, but they don't necessarily understand um, the the drivers behind wanting to make that uh, transition, whether that be, you know, sort of an, an uncapped potential within real estate, or, or maybe it's just a matter of, you know, you, you, you get so good at, at doing what you were doing in commodities that there was no more of that sort of growth or challenge that you uh, can, you know, sort of have that gives you, I think gives people energy, right? Like when you're trying to do something new, it's kind of exciting and you're, you're, you're learning and growing and, and within yourself. So, um, in, in, in interesting, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's also, and I don't claim to know a lot about <laughs> commodities, but your, the two, probably there's a lot of like similarities and, um, parallels as far as you know kind of how you would approach real estate versus what you were doing um prior to that would you would you agree uh absolutely and i think i think also more of the approach is that we 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 applied a very deep analytics and you know let's compete let's be thoughtful let's approach our asset management for pay for performance culture in terms of incentivizing the on-site team and let's let's push vendors aggressively i mean just a very wall street type of approach into a very smaller um type of pool of assets so and that that i think is has worked really well for us and so i think i think that uh, my 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 partner also has a, a wall street private equity background so um yeah, I think the two of us, uh, it's 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 been helpful and it's it's resonated with our investors and the deals that we raised for, they were all concluded in a day um, in terms of our equity raise. So I think people have, have appreciated the risk management aspect and that we're not going to do something stupid when we buy a deal. Yeah. What talk about uh talk about that, you know, from the asset management side, you know, you said that sort of incentivizing the on-site management. What are some of the tips and tricks you're using that you're kind of bringing over from the Wall Street side that that, and then implementing within your real estate um, asset management? Yeah, so we we um, you know typically when we'll look at the financials, we're on weekly calls, and we'll say, okay, what is the strategy? What are we trying to achieve? Whether this week, this month, this year, this you know whole period. And then figure out how can we get our interests aligned with the on-site team um, or their interests aligned with us, I should say. And, you know, we've done anything from at one property that we owned in San Antonio and we bought during COVID. And so there was eviction moratoriums. There was a lot of funds that were paid for uh, rent relief. And there was some heavy delinquent balances that you just couldn't kick them out. One, because you're playing this game of, hey, if they stay, we're playing the rent relief game and rent relief roulette, I guess, um, of, hey, will they get accepted and funded? And then it'll wipe out their $13,000 balance. So <clears throat> we did get a number of checks that were that material. And so it was worth playing that game. And one in particular, there was a resident where at the last minute, it was like, we thought she was going to get approved and she didn't get approved. And our our onsite manager we said hey we are going to pay you i think it was like 500 if you get 
that check. And so she became super focused and was, you know, invited that person in, hey, I have coffee for you, have snacks, come in, we'll work on the paperwork. And what ended up happening, there was just a few missing details in her application. And our onsite manager went and fixed those. And two weeks later, we got a $13,000 check. So that was huge because it was also during the sale process. And there's a lot of scrutiny on the delinquent balances and to identify and say, this is our highest delinquent balances. It's spoken for, this is where it is. And we just got it approved and now it's zero. And so, you know, those types of things um, have been really helpful. We've done a, a number of different um, incentive programs, whether a percent of collections, whether um, at closing we pay bonuses, whether we're going to look at um, actual versus budget and and provide incentive bonuses against that, whether bonuses for if your new leases and renewals are at market, you know, there's a different um, type of compensation for that. And so all of those things uh, we've also done, hey, if these maintenance projects get done by this date, we're going to give you a bonus. So it's been anything that's been really important to us. We felt that that's one area where our payroll is probably higher because we pay you know, I would say above market for sure, above market, but we also expect above market performance. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. And, and I think the, though you may be, you know, sort of paying above market, but even just in some of those examples you listed, I'm sure it's kind of making up for itself in terms of the, the revenue, the revenue generated or savings on your expenses. However, that, you know, basically, uh, if it's improving your bottom line, improving your NOI, who cares if you're if you're paying more money to essentially increase the value of your uh, property by direct, you know, sort of direct effect, then it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something that uh, I think a lot of people will be interested in. Myself, in particular, you said you know when you raise for these deals, it takes you a day. How does that come about? Because I think that's certainly uh, not the norm. Can you hang with me one second? I'm just going to adjust my screen and just realize sure. it wasn't HD. Is that okay? Yeah. Sorry about that. I was looking wild. Was it weird? Um, and it, was, it wasn't HD. You looked very clear in yours. And... So apologize about that. That's all right. Let's see. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. No problem. So do you want to just repeat your question? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I was just asking, you mentioned that the, when you're raising for your deals, when you're raising capital, that uh, oftentimes you're fully subscribed in a day. Um, and I don't think that is, that's something you hear about, you know, when people have been doing it for a long time and, um, even still, that, that's that's impressive. So tell me a little bit about how that goes for you. I, I'd imagine with your commodities background, you said you were calling uh, calling on a lot of, you know, I guess, high, high net worth individuals. So maybe you have connections in that area, but how does that, how does that sort of work for you? Yeah, I would say that um, a number of the folks that have invested with us are people that I've worked with. And so they've seen my level of professionalism. They've seen the work product that I produce. And when they started asking questions about multifamily, they could see the, the deep thought and the deep analytics around the assets that we were acquiring. The presentation decks were very professional. 
Um, and so I think that helped them get very comfortable. The thing that was surprising, frankly, to us was that a number of folks that were professionals, long-term professionals, 15, 20, 30 years of experience in, in commercial real estate also invested with us on our first deal. And I think they saw that having looked at some of the deals they were either brokering or or when they met with us, the, the again, the deep level of thought and different perspective on multifamily and saying, hey, these guys aren't just buying anything. They're really thoughtful about what they're looking for, what they want, their 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 process and their strategy. And so a number of folks had invested with us in the first deal that we bought, which again, the first deal we were really are we were humbly thinking that, you know, we may need to invest a lot more than we had to. And we were prepared to frankly put in, you know, 80% of the equity or more if needed to to close the deal. Um, but we only ended up putting in, I think, 15 or so percent, and we cut ourselves back because it was so oversubscribed. And but a lot of those, a lot, number of folks from from the commercial, the professional commercial real estate world, were invested with us, and that frankly meant a lot to me. And I think it was affirmation that you know, keep going. Um, you have a different approach, and and people see that, and people that are very experienced can see that, and so um, don't give up. It can be tough, especially when you're looking at a hundred deals for every one that you buy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it is a multifamily is challenging in that, that it's like you're doing a lot, a lot of work for maybe kind of what you, what you might consider. Some people might look at it as sort of infrequent wins uh, in the sense that, you know, you're not, most people are not closing, you know, 30 multifamily deals a year. It might be two or three. Uh, and so you're doing a lot of work to get those two or three, and then, you know, you have to manage them for a number of years. So it, it's kind of a, it, it's definitely a, uh, delayed gratification and, and, and being patient, um, type of space to be in, but ultimately the, the, the wins for yourself and your investors can be very big. So that's, you know, that's where the appeal comes in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, what is your like, what is your investment criteria? What types of deals are you looking for? Um, I know you have, uh, you know, kind of invested in a number of different markets, but what do you look for specifically? You said, you know, you're, you're very selective and have a different approach. What what kind of uh, deals are you looking at? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think from a, a macro standpoint, we look at demographics. So we want to see one, that median incomes are 55,000 and up. Two, that home values are... And let's say 250,000 and up, and particularly home values that are 2x the price per unit that the apartment's trading for. So that just shows that there's a good gap to home ownership to rentership, um, and then population growth. So kind of from a demographic perspective, those things are really important. And then if you zoom down from a micro perspective, you know, for Texas deals or other other areas, is it in a flood zone? We don't want to touch anything that's near a flood zone or that's flooded. Um, we want to see true value add and that there's something, whether, you know, the, the first deal that we bought, it was hundred percent classic units. The guy had owned it for 25 years. And so that was a lot of low hanging fruit. We could, we, we cut expenses 
think like 70%. We increased NOI 132% by the time we sold. So, um, you know, when you have many levers, whether on expenses, on income, um, to push, that that gives you more um, operational flexibility and more avenues to drive NOI growth. Um, so, you know, if if the cap rate is not strong going in, then why is that the case? And is it a true turnaround story? And is there a pathway to truly do that? Um, I think those are the things that we we like to see at, at just a, a face value. Um, and then from other perspective, we, we're very relative value. And that's kind of coming from the commodity side of, and this is priced this way. How does that compare versus our database of what's traded and our knowledge of what's happened in that market? And do we think that's good value? Do we think there's upside in terms of price appreciation? So that is that is one of the things that, um, you know, having worked on a trading desk 13 years, everything was about value, relative value. This looks rich. This looks cheap. Why? What part of the curve do I like? Um, what type of neighborhood do I like? How do I feel that this vintage to trade against that and these attributes of physical properties. So those are the things that we just, you know, have a dialogue internally on. Um, but I'd say at a high level, those are, those are the criteria. And, and so the areas that we focus on are the Texas triangle. And, and then we've looked at deals in, in, in Arizona. Um, and so those are, those are kind of the, the areas, but predominantly Texas triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, th those are, um, you know, sort of great, I guess, metrics to look at, you know, when when relating to that to the market, I and mean, th those things are extremely important. Um, so thank you for explaining that. I think that's a, that's a good thing for especially people that may want to become active in multifamily space, you know, sort of really understanding some of those, um, the most important things that people look at when kind of approaching the market. Um, Ryan, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and go ahead and ask you the questions that I like to ask every guest. And sure. the the first one, based on the name of the show being Know Your Why, I always like to ask every guest, what what is your why? What what drives you towards success? You obviously made um, a pretty significant career change uh, and and are are successful in in what you're doing. So so what kind of keeps you going? You know, that's a great question. And, you know, I would say a few things, particularly the why of multifamily is one, I was really looking for something um, that I could apprentice my children with. Um, and, and, and being around assets, you know, the skills that I've learned in multifamily, I can pride, apply to any business. So, um, and then multifamily, I think so many people are into real estate because it is relatively easy to understand. There's a, there's a house, people need to live there, need a shelter. They're going to pay rent and you just have to manage, keep that place full with good paying tenants and manage expenses. I mean, the business model is pretty easy to understand. I think for my kids who are 11 and 13 now, we've taken them to the properties, really apprenticed them and sat and explained to them what's happening when we go under contract with a property, what's happening when we're bidding on a property, what's happening when we're walking units and so forth. So say one, first and foremost, it's it's having something to leave to to my to my children. I think two is really having an impact. And for instance, last weekend uh, we had the church that I attend in Houston. They came out with about ten or so uh, church members, and they held a block party at at our our property. And that's amazing because I just get to be an intermediary or conduit of. Um, here is an apartment community that's kind of a class B minus property. Um, and here is a church that really 
wants to love on their own city. And so I just raise my hand and say, I know a lot of people that would love for face painting and jewelry making and pizzas and just something that people um, that live at these communities might not get every day. And here's a group of folks that really wants to um, reach out and, and connect with these people, but might not be in their circle of influence. And so, because um, I know those you know apartment uh, communities weren't in my circle of influence before, but now that I'm kind of straddling both worlds, I get to bring those two together. So that's another aspect of the impact of people. And we can set the tone for our apartment communities and impact 152 families. And that's pretty cool. And then lastly, it was just looking for something that had longevity and the commodity space. I would say before um, we went through kind of a, another commodity cycle um, in, in the Ukraine war, and it was really looking like this could be the last few years of oil, um, particularly as we transition to EV and electric cars. And for real estate, as long as there's people on this planet, they're going to need a place to live. So um, I like that aspect. And and I like the fact that there's a lot of different avenues and a lot of transferability in real estate where um, on the commodity side, it, it was pretty niche. And so I like having the opportunity um, to learn about whether it's asset management, property management, acquisitions, dispositions, um, and then different food groups, i.e., um, office, retail, so forth, just knowing that those kind of um, metrics, um, financial statements are somewhat similar. And so there's this opportunity to, to pivot and, and move freely. So um, that that was also a, a huge aspect of, of my why. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I think, um, you know, sort of the, the, the forward looking nature of that on both a personal and professional level, you know, the sort of forward looking nature of, of having your kids involved and what, you know, what skills can you impart on them, you know, for their future, but also just, um, you know, forward looking as far as if, if you think, uh, if you think the, the oil industry is not, <laughs> not going to be as robust in the future, uh, then yeah, find, find something that is, and you're right, pe people are always going to need a place to live. Um, Second question for you. Tell us something about yourself that that maybe isn't common knowledge. Uh, something just to let people know you better. A special skill, a hobby, um, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, sure. So there's two things that um, take up a, a large portion of my week. One is I started a rock band at my kids' elementary, it's K through eight school, and started that about four years ago. And um, we have kids all the way from fifth grade to eighth grade in that band. We have 10 kids. We practice on Fridays after school and they perform probably three, four times a semester. Um, I'll, I'll say, I should say it's like three, yeah, about roughly. And um, they play anything from Taylor Swift to Journey to Guns N' Roses to uh, Beatles songs. So, and, and that's been great. Uh, I played in a band in high school that it was just friends and we didn't really have any parents involved to guide us okay. at that point. Um, and I find that with some um, coaching guidance, it's amazing what um, a, a group of people that have never performed together and might not even be masters of their instrument can do um, and how strong the sum of the parts can be. So that's something that uh, has been really awesome. And um, hopefully I think, I think it impacts the kids more than they let on. And 
but uh and then secondly i'm an eagle scout and my two kids are involved in scouts and so i spend a lot of time so monday nights i'm with my daughter she's part of the boy scouts and then my son is on tuesday nights so an adult leader for for both of their respective troops which has been great that's in houston it's one of the largest troops in the country thriving um and so i spent a lot of time doing that as a merit badge counselor as well so just a way to give back i felt like there was a gap after I got my Eagle Scout until um, I was really able to give back and wanted to for a long time, but just didn't have an outlet. So I was moving. And, but with my kids and the troop, it's it's a great opportunity to do that. So those are the two things that uh, kind of where I volunteer my time. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I love the the band. <laughs> uh, I I also was in a band. It's funny that you say not not a master of their instrument. I'm like we were definitely not masters of any instrument, but it was. It was fun. I mean, it was just such a, uh, I thought, such a bonding experience. So I'm sure it's great for those kids. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they're getting a lot more out of it than they might <laughs> might willingly tell you. So that's uh, that's great and, and good on you for doing that. Um, when people hear this, where can they reach out to you? Sure. You can uh, reach me at lifechangingcapital.com. And some of the things that may be helpful for, for your listeners uh, is I have... 25 questions every passive investor should ask that just goes through. And when I was entering the space, I, I honestly didn't know what questions to even ask. There were so many and what questions would really get me to and finding out if I should invest in this deal or not. So check that out if, if you're new to the space or even just as another guideline for how to approach different deals that come across your desk. And, and then if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me through the website as well. Lifechangingcapital.com. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes. Um, final question for you, Ryan. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone who is looking to get started in real estate? How would you guide them to kind of start their career in that direction? So I would say that there's a number of things that people say in real estate that aren't true. And people say, oh, you can never lose money in real estate, you know, um, buy real estate and wait, um, you know, those things I find pretty funny because I don't think they exist in any market. I think that's you know, just the nature of capitalism and financial markets is there's risk and reward and you're compensated for taking that risk and reward. So um, nothing is really risk-free um, except, you know, treasury securities, but those, you know, we may find out come early June that those aren't risk-free either. So um I would say, ask a lot of questions. Don't be shy about asking a lot of questions and approach things in real estate. You have to be really hungry and you have to be humble. And um, humble is just asking a lot of questions, admitting, hey, can you help me understand this? I don't get it. And because everyone in, in multifamily and everyone in, in the world um, if they're raising money, you're going to tell you, hey, this is an awesome deal. You should invest in it. No one's going to come to you and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a horrible deal, but please give me your money. <laughs> so um, it's it's really important that you kind of have some wisdom um, about deciphering where you should put your money because it is real money. It's not monopoly money. And, and as we're finding out, there's a lot of people that will lose a lot of money in the commercial real estate space. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it is funny some of those um, cliches that are out there. Just as far as it's 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 
it's it's a business it's still it's still a business it's not like uh, it's a it's a very lucrative business but you've got to do it right and you've got to you know it's not a um quick get rich scheme so you you do want to have someone you, you know that you know sort of operating well um well, this is great, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate everything you've shared. I really um, appreciate your kind of approach to real estate and, and the things that you're taking from your background and, and sort of applying there. I think that's, uh, I'm sure, very, very valuable for you and your investors and, uh, and now for our listeners. So thank you so much. I, I do appreciate your time today. Jason, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, folks listening, uh, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. Please go ahead and like, rate, and review the show. That allows us to get more great guests like Ryan. All right. Have a great day, everyone. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.